0: Welcome to Smart Talk, I'm Scott Lamar. Here is an alarming statistic. Across the country, county jails house more individuals who suffer from mental illness than psychiatric hospitals. Think about that for just a moment, for just a moment. 10 to 30% of inmates in county jails are mentally ill. As many as 65% of all county jail inmates in Pennsylvania have a substance abuse disorder. Not only are many of these inmates not getting the help they need to get well, but it's costing taxpayers billions of dollars across the country. A comprehensive behavioral task force report commissioned by the County Commissioner's Association of Pennsylvania uh, you know, just released within the past uh, few weeks or so. That report said set goals and made recommendations that we'll hear about today on Smart Talk. Joining us is County Commissioner's Association of Pennsylvania Deputy Director Brenda Carol Penyak. Ms. Penyak, welcome to the program.
1: Good morning. Thanks for having us.
0: Also joining us, Ed McCulloch, who is uh, Administrator of Berks County's Office of Mental Health and Developmental Disabilities. Mr. Michalik, welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you for having us. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. All right, let's uh, start with one of the broad questions before we get into the specifics because there are a lot of recommendations here. Many things I'm sure people haven't thought about, but what was the idea behind this task force and the resulting report?
1: This uh, actually goes back a number of years. Uh, The commissioners uh, that we represent have been concerned about growing populations within their jails who have mental health and drug and alcohol problems. Uh, Over the last couple of years, we've looked for some solutions, we've talked about things that counties could be doing, some things that we could be pursuing from a legislative perspective, but we've never really looked at the problem from a comprehensive perspective. Everything that might be out there, bringing all of that together, and then also making sure that counties are already doing everything that they possibly can to resolve these problems. So it's somewhat explosive. We've seen population growth uh, that could never have been expected. Uh, Jails are not the kinds of facilities that are prepared for these populations. They're not the right setting for these populations. So knowing the kind of issues that they're creating, uh, we wanted to see if we could come up with some things that would not only help the counties create their own uh, blueprint, so to speak, but also to work with their partners uh, in the criminal justice system, work with their partners in the human service system and then perhaps create some things that could be pursued from a, a policy perspective that will uh, ease the burden so that's really the origin of it and uh, putting these thoughts on paper uh, was something that uh, um, I, I think was very helpful for the counties to kind of get a handle on what it was they were looking at and make it a little bit less uh, huge so uh, impossible to tackle because it's a big problem for them
0: is something you just described there at the end uh the counties had to suspect that many of uh, the findings in this report they had they had to think that okay you know we have a, a fairly large percentage of our inmates that have drug and alcohol problems uh, we suspect that there is a I don't know if you call it large but a, 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 a larger than what might pe- most people may suspect. Uh, a population that suffer from mental illness, and also something I didn't mention in the uh, introduction that fourteen percent. The report found that fourteen percent are seriously mentally mentally ill. So we'll talk about that too. But there had to be uh, a suspicion or at least an expectation that uh, these that the findings of the report that okay, this is what we've thought all along, but now we've studied it, we've re- researched it, and it's been confirmed for us.
1: That's very true. Uh, We could see anecdotally what was happening. We could hear from our jail staff what they were seeing and what they were trying to deal with. We could hear from the counties the excess costs that they were experiencing. Uh, Suddenly uh, increased costs in psychotropic medications that were being provided uh, in the jail setting uh, and people needing treatment. Also, increased recidivism. When folks were not receiving treatment in the jail, you see the same faces over and over again. So there was a, a pretty good knowledge that the numbers were increasing. Uh, to see it on paper, to see what those statistics show, and to really understand what the costs are to the counties, uh, that was a, a, an eye-opening moment.
0: Mm. So let me turn to Ed Michal- Michalik, who, uh who is administrator of Berks County's Office of Mental Health and Developmental Disabilities. Mr. Michalik, um, when I say that uh, there was a suspicion or at least a hint that, that this was happening, how closely has your office worked with the Berks County prison, the Berks County jail? Uh, and I ask that because I'm, I assume that... Hmm, well, maybe I shouldn't assume that this is happening in the other 66
2: counties as well. Um, Your assumption is correct. Uh, This report is more of a confirmation of the alarm uh, and the concern that behavioral health directors like myself have had in working with our uh, county wardens, our prison wardens, our jail system wardens. Uh, because the, the county mental health intellectual disability programs are responsible for people prior to them entering the prison. And then our role is to try to uh, affect a smooth transition to get them out sooner. And it really, um, the, our, our prisons are no more a place to treat people with complex medical problems than they are to treat people with serious mental illness and substance abuse and addictions problems. Uh, the longer uh, it's, it's a, a national fact uh, garnered through research that people with behavioral health problems, contrary to a lot of the public belief, spend far more time in prison than people without those problems. So you have people going in with these problems who spend far more time in prison. They get disconnected from their families uh, and their friends. They get disconnected from their public benefits that allow us to serve them through Medicaid. Uh, and the longer an individual spends time in prison, the harder is that to make um, that that transition back to the community. And people would ask, and I think it's a perfect question, well, why do we care or what does that matter? Yeah, you see, or, can or I, how I run much for is, just a second? Sure. Because,
0: yeah. the, I mean, a long time in this country and for a long time, and there probably are a lot of people who still believe this that the idea was throw away the key you broke the law uh, there was no thought about uh, whether there was drug and alcohol problems or that there was a mental illness involved it was you broke the law you 're endangering the public we don't care you 're going to be behind bars and
2: that thinking's changing though isn't it It is because providing medical care or behavioral health care within the prison walls is a cost completely borne by the counties. It costs over $100 million annually across Pennsylvania for people to be treated for their medical issues. Uh, Just to incarcerate someone in a county jail, it's $40,000 annually. And when you have a person who's in there longer, reconnecting them to everything makes it more difficult. It makes it difficult to reconnect them back to jobs because I think there's also a strong belief that people with serious mental illness cannot be active contributors to society, but they can, and they want to be. And we need to get them involved in treatment and and medication. And what else would the public say? Well, what does that matter? We're all worried about crime rates. Who isn't worried about crime rates, regardless of what uh, part of the political spectrum you fall on? We all want safe communities. Well, those who are diverted from prison with behavioral health problems and who are, channeled into treatment programs, the recidivism rate is is 8%. Now, show me any population where recidivism is that low. Uh, and these are for nonviolent offenders. So we're not, to, you know, people always get concerned and say, hey, hey, doc, what about, you know, these are people who are doing violent things to people, no, they aren't. These are nonviolent offenders. So if we can reduce the rate of their incarceration to 8%, as we've had success in Berks County, That's a significant savings to the public, and this is yet again another problem that we can't build our way out of by building more prisons. We're we're not going to build our way out. They're just going to get bigger and bigger. And, again, as I said earlier in my comments, uh, it's much better to treat people in the communities for their medical and their behavioral health problems than it is within the walls of the prison.
0: You know, someone listening to this said, you know, that makes sense, but what about money? That's you know when we, we you, you talk about what it costs to house an inmate in a county prison for a year, how much we're spending in county prisons across the state. Uh, but w- once everyone gets to hear some of the recommendations here, they're going to say, "Well, won't that cost a lot of money?" Will it in the long run? And I guess that's what you're looking at is the long run.
1: We are looking at the long run, and it's impossible to say that we're going to reduce the costs of the criminal justice system or the health care system. That isn't really the focus. It's more about using the resources that we have more appropriately. So if it's about public safety, then what you do is you use your jail resources, your incarceration incarceration resources uh, to handle those that you're afraid of. You use other resources to handle those that perhaps you're just angry with. And that really does make sense. If you look at community-based services that might be out there, uh, in order to take populations that are currently incarcerated, still assuring the public safety and uh, make it a a treatment focus, you're probably gonna increase some costs relative to treatment. You may increase some costs relative to community uh, supervision, but it's a smarter way of using those dollars. It's a smarter way of assuring tax dollars are getting you the outcomes that you want. Uh, If a person ultimately has uh, a better future, better outcomes, isn't in that revolving door coming back again and again, the resources can go to other things, and there will always be other needs that can't be met because of what we're spending on corrections.
0: In the short term, though, if you would get the the recommendations enacted that uh, this report has, would it cost more money overall in the short term?
1: I would have to say yes, because there would be some investments that would have to be made at the county level. Uh, There would have to be some additional investments and some treatment modalities and some of the things that we're recommending here. Uh, But the benefit, the payoff for the community, uh, for folks who still have their public safety assured, uh, is that knowing... Uh, you potentially will have somebody return to society as a, you know, a, a working individual, somebody who can continue to contribute, uh, as opposed to somebody that you're constantly paying for. And I think people appreciate that, even if, if it would initially cost a little bit more money.
0: But let me, and I'll have the but here, <laughs> because there, I'm sure once you're discussing this, there will be a big but. Um, let's face it counties any government today dollars are tight
1: absolutely
0: and you know coming in and saying okay we're going to be spending more money up front that hopefully in the long run this is going to cost us less not only money wise but as a society that we have a safer society and we're helping these people to you know keep them out of jail get jobs become pr- productive citizens how do you make that argument when dollars are so tight Or did I just make it for you?
1: Well, I think you did make it for me. The costs are going to continue to increase. Uh And if we want to continue to pay more for folks in a setting that will not result in a good outcome... Then you know that would be a societal choice. I, I just don't think people believe that that's the right way to go. Uh, the initial investment, yes, there would be some initial mm-hmm. upfront investment, more than we're spending now. Uh, there should be a leveling off of jail populations. Would it be enough to close a wing of the jail? Very hard to say. But you can use your resources more effectively, and perhaps there would be some savings over time if you're looking at a setting that costs less. Now, if you want to compare perhaps uh, the costs of prison to the costs of supervision in the community, there is a huge difference there. Mm -hmm. It is much less expensive to supervise somebody in the community, Uh, and and that's regardless of whether we're talking about uh, uh, substance abuse or, or mental health issues. So if we can find other resources to provide treatment, uh, folks can perhaps qualify for Medicaid. Uh, Those Medicaid resources might pay uh, for some very expensive medications that are being paid for otherwise. You're spreading that cost to different resources. It's not all falling on the county. So you should have better outcomes in the long run for the taxpayers as well as the individuals you're trying to provide service for.
2: The other argument I would make too is that when, when you are looking at recidivism again, we're talking about people recommitting crimes. Right. And, and crime, there are victims. Sure, and there are victims, and that's what I like to emphasize. There are victims not only uh, of those who's cr- who had the crimes perpetrated upon them, but of the individual who did it, the families. Uh, and I, I would say to my own family, um, what would you say if I could reduce the chances that you're going to become a victim of crime with numbers that we have proven work? And then people begin to start to take a look and say, you know, maybe I'd like to try that because you're quantifying that in a way that's very personal to me. You're listening to
0: Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR
2: News and all things
0: regional. I'm Scott Lamar.
2: Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, committed to reducing hospital-acquired infections. More information on Pinnacle Health's achievements and patient safety can be found at pinnaclehealth.org. quality
0: Welcome back to Smart Talk. We're talking about uh, County Prison Reform, a task force uh, that made a group of recommendations mm-hmm. and actual findings. Uh, the report was released just a few weeks ago, and it's comprehensive. I mean, v- very comprehensive. In fact, it's called a Comprehensive Behavioral Task Force Report commissioned by the County Commissioners Association of Pennsylvania. Their Deputy Director, Brenda Carol Penyak, is with us today, as well as Ed Mahalik, who is Administrator of Berks County's Office of Mental Health and Development disabilities. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You also can leave a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. And I ask our callers who are on the line right now to be patient. I'll get to you in just a few minutes and uh, we'll get to some emails as well. But one of the questions I'm sure our audience is saying, Scott, Scott, talk about these recommendations. Right. Uh, so, Brenda, in your mind, what were some of the key recommendations?
1: Well, the task force members Okay, were, maybe I
0: should ask this. I'm sorry. Maybe some of the key findings, and then we'll talk about
1: key recommendations. Sure, sure. Again, uh, the task force members were very diverse, and they came from a variety of perspectives. We wanted to make sure that we were uh, understanding how everybody approached the problem and what their uh, anticipated solutions would be. Uh, so we broke the report into six goal areas, and the first and foremost is to uh, encourage counties Uh, to put strategies in place that reduce the need for incarceration in the first place. Uh, If there's something else that we can be doing through effective diversion programs, making sure that if a person is uh, acting out uh, and it's a result of a mental health problem, uh, that we're trying to address that, uh, looking first and foremost at public safety. Is there other support Uh, services that could be uh, used to avoid a trip to the jail. Uh, And there are things that can be done, but we wanted to examine, for instance, what the challenges may be. If a police officer wants to divert somebody and they have nobody or no place to divert the individual to, then what resources do we need to provide there? uh... also we have a goal of expanding training education and awareness efforts especially uh, with the public and their perception and understanding of what happens when we're incarcerating again and again uh, individuals who have mental health problems or just uh... have behaviors that are being driven by substance abuse and you know realistically some of those behaviors can be criminal behaviors so if we can find ways to address those problems perhaps we can avoid uh, jailing individuals in the first place. Uh, Some of the other goals uh, took a look at special populations. For instance, we know that uh, uh, trauma is involved in a lot of incarceration, a lot of criminal behavior. Uh, We looked at women and how women are in particular Uh, impacted by uh, an incarceration and how that trickle-down impacts the family and over a very long period of time. Uh, Also juveniles and how uh, juveniles who find their way into um, uh, the juvenile justice and then perhaps the criminal justice system uh, have long-term impacts and some of the things that can be done to perhaps uh, divert or uh, redirect uh, resources there. Uh, We looked in particular at the needs of veterans and returning veterans. I noticed
0: that there was a lot of emphasis on veterans.
1: Yeah, we do find that uh, there is, uh, again, trauma circumstances uh, that if you Um, concentrate some diversionary opportunities and then some treatment options for for veterans, you can avoid uh, a long-term kind of revolving criminal justice involvement. Uh, There is a very good reason uh, to to look at veterans, and our our report spent a good bit of time uh, not only looking at uh, veterans in the criminal justice system, but uh, our task force members wanted to make some statements about what we should be doing for returning veterans to create a better environment, more successful environment better integration back into the community so that perhaps some of these traumas don't lead to the types of behaviors and the types of circumstances uh, that we find uh, send people into um, jail and and prison settings. And then we also wanted to look towards the future because there are a number of things that uh, we really weren't able to address in the report. Uh, We were kind of given a charge by the CCAP membership who developed uh, the strategy behind the... um, Uh, comprehensive study. uh, And sticking with that, there were a few things that we also felt maybe should be looked at. And we knew that there were some connections, but they weren't directly related. So uh, things like looking at uh, education and how education impacts uh, the future of an individual and the chances that they'll become involved uh, in drug and alcohol uh, issues, or uh, maybe taking a look at whether we're doing everything that we can to get Uh, other coverages for individuals, uh, whether it's Medicaid or some other resource. Uh, I'll give you, for instance, uh, right now, the moment you enter jail, any benefit program that you've ever had available to you ceases. It's cut off, and your options for whatever you may need uh, medically, uh, behavioral health-wise, those are then borne by the county. When you leave then, restoration of those benefits can take time. So let's say that you are a veteran, you qualify for veterans benefits, you don't qualify while you're in that jail setting. That means you may not get the best opportunities uh, for treatment and uh, medications, whatever modalities might be available to you. So we wanted to look at that. And then last but not least, how we can use data better and assure that what data shows us is happening in the community uh, translates to the data that we see happening uh, within the criminal justice system. So we know that we're targeting the right populations with the right types of services and treatment.
0: And we're going to talk more specifically about some of those things too. But let's take some phone calls and go to uh, Richie from Hershey. Richie, you're on the air.
3: Good morning, morning. uh, guests, and good morning, Scott. Thank you. Uh, First of all, I'm a firm believer in the jail out of jail, okay? Is this even a... feasibility where rather than incarcerate these people the ankle bracelet system where you would not only have monitoring but you would have visual in today's technology you would be able to see where these people are what they're doing how they're doing it and should there be a violation you could act on it immediately it would be a whole lot less expensive than what we're doing now and perhaps you know, they're being watched 24 hours a day now visually in prison and wherever. So is that even a possibility
2: R- and maybe
3: a help for people to know, hey, I'm being watched constantly. I should behave myself.
2: R- hey. Richie, it is. The the recommendations in this report um, give... Uh, law enforcement, the courts, counties, our jail systems, the opportunity to use these technologies more on an enhanced basis. And rather than before having people perhaps just sitting around in their homes, they could be involved in programs that, that really give us some control. One of the biggest issues people say to county officials and elected officials I know is, what are you going to do about this? And what this report does and the recommendations contained therein are just not pie in the sky. Everything in this report is being employed in some fashion across all of Pennsylvania's 67 counties, and it's giving us the tools and the wherewithal to, to be able to use that technology and keep people in programs that prevent them from recommitting crimes again. So, the short answer is yes. So, let me just follow up.
3: ...that it goes through because that I believe would be a big help in our problem
0: all right richie thank you very much for your call let me just follow up on that because i, I want to talk about i want to clarify w- what the, you know richie had asked and your answer ed uh, is this happening now is it happening more often now and with the recommendations made in this report are you saying it needs to be expanded
2: um it is happening in, on a very case-by-case basis it is not happening in all counties um but should it be enhanced and expanded uh, not only can it be but it should be because it would play right into what we're talking about here because for those would say just lock them up and throw away the key and i hear that too in my neighborhoods and communities too right now we have no control once people get out here we would have some control over the factors that have contributed to this and it puts the power back into a ha- and truly into the hands of the taxpayers and the, and the officials that are appointed by them and elected by them to say, what are you going to do about this? I am going to be able to do this, and I'm going to have more control than I had before to ensure that this doesn't happen again.
0: Now, with the populations that we're talking about mostly in this report, uh, those who are suffering from mental illness, those who have uh, drug and alcohol problems, um, while because kind of what Richie described there is they're under house arrest yeah the, the, we can monitor them but what you're talking about here is you want to do more than that while they are wearing an ankle br- ankle bracelet or they're confined to their home except for going
2: out and getting treatment mm-hmm. is that what you're looking for in some cases yes and sometimes they can go out and work jobs they can go out and do meaningful volunteer work. We all know being involved in many community organizations where the status of volunteers is we don't have enough and we can't do without it. So there are a lot more meaningful things that people could enroll in. And most people given that opportunity if they're stable upon their medications and treatment, they're not gonna choose prison. I'm sure you've been to visit prisons, I've been to prison visit prisons. You give the people the opportunity to do something meaningful and find something meaningful in their life to do that they haven't had before. And then they feel good about themselves because they're not struggling with unmedicated depression and untreated depression. I, I, I think it whole opens up a whole new possibility of hope for all of us rather than just always responding after the fact. Right now what our system does is people break the law, there are victims, they go to prison, and then we get there. It, I, I can liken it to being a volunteer firefighter for 30-some years. Uh, once we got into smoke detectors, drop, stop, drop, and roll in all kinds of prevention activities, fire deaths across the, across the nation lowered. It, it's very much the same concept. We, we intervene at an earlier time. We give people options. We, we deal with the issues that have contributed in a significant manner to them breaking the law, and we reduce their involvement in the criminal justice system and getting caught up in the machine, as some people refer to it as. Let's mm. take another call from Heather in Middletown. Heather, you're on the air.
4: Hi. Um, I am a business owner. I have tried to actually, um, being a Christian, we look at doing things as second chances. I've tried to get workers from different organizations in the area um the thing i run into is uh and we offer meaningful work where we pay more than minimum wage so people can earn a living wage um i run into it every single time oh well we only work with temp agencies and i don't understand and please take my information down because i'm willing to talk to anybody about this i don't understand why these temp agencies have these um, people on lockdown to where you you shove shove them in factories at 725 and you know they're not getting meaningful work they're not getting to work for a company that cares about them as an employee and a team member and you know here i am trying to bang on every door and i get shut down every single time because i'm not a temp agency Mm. i'm willing to work with any prisoner that is trying to make a change in their life and turn their life around and it is meaningful work, and they can support their family. But I'm, I'm shut the door is shut every single time.
0: Hey, well, let me, Heather. You say you're willing to give the information. I'm going to put you on hold and have one of our producers take your information, so you're not putting it out there on the air. Okay.
4: Right, right. And I would also want to know who owns those temp agencies. To where, you know, is is that really the way to go? Is you know,
1: that that's my two cents. But please take my information down. Okay, I'll
0: put you on hold. Uh, all right. So what about that? Is that an issue?
1: I, I can't really speak to the issues specifically about temp agencies. Uh, I can tell you that what we often run into is, uh, first, people don't understand that there's a distinct difference between uh, a state prison and a county jail. Uh, And that real difference is the um, reasons that individuals are there and the time that they're there. So in the the situation of a county county jail, you're talking about a a very temporary stay, 60 days or less on average. Uh, We're not long-term incarceration. So what often happens is finding people jobs is not something that the counties are able to do in an effective way. Uh, working with the prisons, that's uh, probably a, a larger possibility. I really couldn't uh, speak to why they would perhaps use temp agencies. Uh, there may be a reason for that. Uh, I will say that what Heather is trying to do uh, is one of the, the keys to assuring that we've got uh, a long-term change in the trajectory that we're seeing uh, with individuals with uh, who recidivate back through our, our system. Um, but in the case of counties we have folks for such a short period of time uh and our chances of actually impacting what they do on the outside uh is is really limited in part to how long we have them uh so ed i don't know whether you have anything to add
2: um i I think each county handles things differently and i would echo um, brinda's comments but i would also say that that many community uh, programs or government agencies or, or jail systems do not simply rely on temp agencies. So it would be, I would say two things to Heather. I would thank her and ask her not to give up because the whole objective, the one overriding objective of this report and by disseminating it widely is to engage the larger community to help. So we thank her for doing that. The other thing is that whoever gathers her information, the county that she, is operating and as a businesswoman, we'd like to know where so we could pass it to the right people.
0: Okay, we're taking our information. Let's take a call from Micah in Carlisle. Michael you're on the air. Hello, Micah. Okay, I don't think he's there any longer. Something I want to I mean, let me touch on this first. Uh, one of the things addressed in the report is bail. Uh, Brenda, you just mentioned that the average stay in a county jail is 60 days. Many of the inmates, I'm sure, in, uh, in, in county prisons are there while they uh, because they couldn't make, make bail. What kind of reforms are you looking for with bail?
1: Following what we know is happening nationally, really examining bail and whether or not that is the sole reason that an individual remains behind bars is kind of the thrust of this. Uh, because especially when we're talking about the populations that our report focuses on, uh, that time in jail has a lot to do with how fast they'll decompensate, how poorly they may do uh, in that setting, and and then the difficulty once they are released, their ability to to get through the trial process and then complete whatever the court has given them, uh, it's impacted by the amount of time that they're spending uh, in these settings. Nationwide, there is a great deal of interest in looking at assessments that can be done to uh, analyze the risk that an individual presents. Uh, Remember bail is for assuring that somebody appears for trial. That is the purpose. It is not a punitive thing. That's exactly right. Uh, And and in some cases, uh, we have evidence. We know that we've got individuals who uh, are in jail for a long period of time for very minor crimes until they can come to their trial date. Uh, and sometimes the bail can be next to nothing and they can't meet the bail. So we know that counties have somewhat successfully examined uh, individuals who are there just for that reason and then look to other pretrial services as a means of assuring that they can be released. Uh, Some supervision programs that can be offered up front even before the person goes to trial. Uh, Some uh, assistance programs that relate to their uh, mental health or drug and alcohol uh, issues to provide some treatment. Uh, and by the time they do get to trial, perhaps they're in a better place. They can be safely released under community supervision. So uh, again, it's looking at what we're doing and whether or not there is a better way. If a person is simply sitting in jail at, on average, 60 $70 per day because they can't raise $100, they're not a danger to the community, we do believe that they're going to to show up for, for their court date, then would it be better to forget the $100 and perhaps look at some other means of assuring that that individual uh, could be supervised and, and assure their appearance for court? I
0: know that um, this, this is a move across the country is to uh, look at what we do scientifically. I. John Wetzel the Pennsylvania Secretary of Corrections has said that often that we're using science now to uh, Help us in changing the system that we have better outcomes Um, But if I'm a victim of crime someone out there who Whether my life was in danger or just my house was broken into or someone stole something out of my car you probably my guess is you would if you had your choice would say I want that guy or that woman behind bars because I see that person as a danger what about victims in all this
1: victims are tremendously important and and I think it's kind of interesting knowing my own personal transition I was a victim of crime in 2007 uh, and I can tell you that's exactly how I felt I I wanted to see that I wanted them punished I wanted them to feel Something that, in a way, related to how I felt as a victim. Uh, Over time, learning that I was creating a situation where there would be probably likely future victimization, they weren't going to get treatment there, they were going to continue to have drug and alcohol treatment issues, they were going to continue to repeat the behaviors that got them there in the first place unless they got some treatment, it did start to make sense. And it started to make sense that future victimization has to be viewed as well. Uh, I understand, believe me, firsthand the plight of the victim. I I still get that little restitution check uh, every month, and it makes me feel like they're doing something. I'm not as angry as I used to be. On the other hand, I do appreciate that anger. I I think that what we want folks to to truly focus on, and it's hard as a victim, but truly focus on the balance. And the balance is it can go so far with an individual. You can do so much to incarcerate. You can put them behind bars. But if you really want the future to change and you wanna feel safer, you have to look at other things. And that's really what we're trying to focus on here, providing those other things.
0: You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR news and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome back to Smart Talk. We're talking about uh, prison reform on the county level. Our guest today is County Commissioners Association of Pennsylvania Deputy Director Brenda Carol Penyak and Ed Mahalik, who is Administrator of Berks County's Office of Mental Health and Developmental Disabilities. If you have a question or comment, 1 800 729 7532. Send an email to smarttalk at org. All right, let's. Uh, I have an email here from Bob. He says, "What's crazy about the the county lockups are the huge cost borne by taxpayers to support incarceration, when the alternatives of shorter time, effective counseling, parole oversight, have been shown to produce better results, while those who profit from the incarceration process successfully argue year after year for its maintenance." It's likened to a game: the wealthiest are able to purchase the best legal representation, avoiding imprisonment, and the poor who can't be imprisoned for profit. Now aside for the profit part of it. Um, and by the way, do we have any in any counties that are for-profit uh, prisons?
1: We have one private prison. I couldn't tell you whether they or for, I would assume they're a for-profit entity, but most of the- What, what county is that? Uh, that's Delaware County. Delaware County. Yeah, all okay. 66. Well, uh, not all counties have a prison anymore, but the remaining counties are uh, county-owned and operated.
0: One of the, the key points that Bob makes there is the representation. Uh, we know that if you are able to afford an attorney, uh, and we've heard the Miranda writes many times, if you cannot afford one, one will be appointed for you, but this is a real issue across the state and across the country. Your report does address indigent defendants and having access to I'm not even going to say good attorneys, because you don't say that, but to a public attorney. Because that is an issue in itself, because taxpayers are bearing the brunt of that as well. Yes. What does the report say? What is the recommendation when it comes to uh, indigent uh, defendants?
2: Well, obviously people are assigned public defenders, but but... If we can divert those so that they don't have to spend that that inordinate time running through the criminal justice system, you're, redu- you're reducing the defense costs too. Uh, piggybacking on some of Brenda's comments, and I and I I, I don't. SHARE HER VANTAGE POINTS SIMPLY BECAUSE I WAS NOT A VICTIM OF CRIME. BUT I, I, BEFORE I ENTERED IN HUMAN SERVICES, I WORKED AS A POLICE OFFICER. AND I UNDERSTAND THE IDEAS OF RESTITUTION AND PREVENTION. AND I THINK that THAT IS BIG ON MORE PEOPLE'S MINDS THAN ONE WOULD THINK. PEOPLE DON'T WANT IT TO HAPPEN AGAIN. They want to know when they hear something about some homeless person who struggled with mental health and substance abuse problems. Sometimes, uh, turns out to be one of our veterans. What What are you doing for that person? He served us, and why aren't you making sure that he has a second chance or she has a second chance? Because the population of our, prim- our prisons are, are exploding with female in- inmates, and that's something not a lot of people talk about. That's one of the, um, the fa- isn't that the fastest growing group of inmates? Yes, yes, it's like 800 percent in in the past few years it has expanded so you have well you have more women who are victims of domestic violence who have suffered trauma in their life that are put in situations where they end up getting arrested and then they were put in prison and these are the same people who primarily are the ones who are responsible for taking care of their children so can you imagine the the anguish in, in human cost and if you somehow can brush that away, and I, I don't think most people can when they look at the kids, but you look at the cost that it takes now to care for the family unit, the taxpayers are, are on the line for all of that. So it makes perfect sense for us to get to people sooner because it cuts down on the need for long-term public defenders. Because my experience is when we find someone with, with a behavioral health issue that we can divert for prison both our district attorney and our public defenders are on board uh, with preventing them from even being incarcerated in the first time. Then they don't lose the jobs they have, they don't lose the meaningful activity they have. A lot of times they don't lose the housing and that's an important part of our report too that we haven't touched on. But once these individuals lose their housing and people know that they were in prison, try to sell that to some landlord now. When, when we can even avoid that whole conversation, that's that's good too. Well, so, what's the recommendation there? Because
0: what you're describing is many inmates who are being released, I mean, the situation is they have nowhere to live, Right. they have no job, they have very little chance of income. If they do, those benefits that you described, uh, uh, they may have to wait for a while. So, I mean, is that what we're seeing today?
2: Yes, and we, we are, as county government and state-founded using state funds, we are subsidizing housing costs to get these people reestablished. We are building relationships with landlords so they will give people a second chance. But if there's a problem at 2 o'clock in the morning on Christmas Day, we're there if the landlord calls and says, John's having a difficult time. Can you get somebody here? Uh, or There was some type of ruckus in the apartment last night. We heard of it this morning. Can you send somebody out to look? When these landlords know we're going to be there, they're more willing to rent to people and give them a second chance. So whether it's housing, whether it's medical care, whether it's reduced costs and legal care, we we avoid all of those costs that aren't calculable by the person to some degree because it's all anecdotal. Um, which addresses another thing that we're trying to do through the report is encourage the development of data systems and processes that we can develop baselines and then measure our success because people say to me often including legislators is your program successful? Tell me about what it's done for people in the last year, just like our diversion program that I talked to earlier. What you're
0: before. talking about is public awareness, right. uh, not just public awareness, but uh, even I see commissioners, county commissioners, for example, uh, perception and awareness. You know, some people would look at that and say, well, you're trying to spin this. But no, what you're trying to do is educate, correct?
1: That's correct, yep. We find that uh, people have preconceived um Understandings of what happens when somebody has mental health issues uh, or substance abuse issues and and becomes involved in the criminal justice system. Uh, They have preconceived um, viewpoints on dangerousness that, that are simply not accurate. Uh, They have um, ideas that they've developed uh, over time based on, you know, what their experiences are about uh, who is in jail, why we keep them in jail, why we put people in jail, who goes to prison. Uh, And and we think that uh, the public education is important not just for uh, understanding that there is a better way and we can be more successful, but that... Public safety is improved as well. So we want to not only have commissioners uh, better understand what kinds of things they should be putting uh, in place at the county level and how they should be interacting with their, their partners, uh, but also have the public uh, understand that when commissioners or, or uh, public policymakers, legislators are trying to do uh, some of these more innovative things, they're doing it for the right reason. All right,
0: we're going to take uh, some more phone calls here in uh, just a moment. But, uh, uh, you know, one of the areas in, and it's not the cr- criminal justice system as much as it is, um, well, it's just part of the whole the whole problem, p- part of the issue. And uh, you address this in the report. You call it the warm handoff at hospital emergency departments. We have heard many stories over the years about uh, someone who is suffering from mental illness um, is having a bad day, um, goes to an emergency room looking for treatment, and the hospital doesn't know what to do with them. Uh, people who have sat for hours in an emergency room and then finally just got up and left because they weren't being treated. You know, I know we're trying to address some of those things on the hospital level, on uh, you know, on the medical front but what does it mean, the warm handoff at hospital
2: emergency departments? Well, basically, the warm handoff primarily applies, but it can be generalized to people who who have recovered from an acute overdose. And quite frankly, what has happened for many, many years is people will be treated for that, and then they'll walk out of the emergency room, and there's no one to follow along with them, or no one follows up with them, and they end up engaging in the same type of addictive behavior. It takes help to overcome it. addiction is an illness. Uh, you wouldn't let, or you at least hopefully wouldn't let someone with diabetes or heart disease walk out of a hospital with no follow-up care and say, good luck, here you go. Uh, but that's what is essentially has been done with a lot of people with follow-up from addiction and abuse. Uh, and, and particularly overdoses. So the warm handoff, and that's another program many counties have, including Berks, is people who are right there when that person discharged to say, now, here are the treatment alternatives. Let me help you get connected. I'll, I'll pick you up on Monday morning. We'll take you to there. Because otherwise, um, again, it's, th- there's really no control and no impact on whether that person will engage in the same behavior again, because it, it takes help, and it takes professional help. To, to kick that habit, so to speak.
1: One so, of the twists on that, if I could just add, sure. is uh, the use of peer support specialists. Yes. So the first person who would encounter somebody who's been in the emergency room, they're now recovering from an overdose, uh, is someone who's been there, somebody who's had an addiction problem, somebody who's experienced an overdose. And perhaps giving some advice from that perspective that they both share on what you may benefit from if you decide that treatment is the option that you're you're willing to accept now, uh, it's a very vulnerable time, and we found that especially with a peer specialist, there can be some redirection and some successful uh, entry, taking an individual from that situation and getting them into uh, an effective treatment model.
0: Let's take a phone call from Ronald in Lancaster. Ronald, you're on the air.
5: Hello, I'm I'm here.
0: Sure, go right ahead. What's your question or comment?
5: Uh- Okay, so my question is that, uh, as I said, I live in Lancaster County, and uh, our RMO, Reentry Management Organization, supports a, uh, a support group for recently returned uh, citizens to help uh, keep them from, re, um, from going back to prison. And I'm wondering um, if you guys are going to talk about um, that kind of support for folks who are, um, recently released, um, and talk some more about the lack of housing, jobs, et cetera, that you've already kind of, I'm rambling. I'm sorry. I'm nervous. Um, Oh, you don't need Best to be nervous.
0: But you, uh, did you did not you mention to you or my call screener that you the the book the new Jim Crow Mass Incarceration yes. in the Age of yes. Colorblindness, yeah, um, and you talked about recidivism there. Uh, we do know, and this is some uh, another issue. There are so many issues that we're bringing up on the program today that uh, the majority of inmates in. County prisons, state prisons. I don't know about the federal, but uh, I would imagine so. Are people yes. of color? Um, yes. So, h- h- what was your specific question about that, Ronald?
5: Well, I, you know, I think that's that's a whole show in and of itself. Right. It is. It is. Uh, I'm talking about the disparities. The the. Um, I mean, she talks about how um, many. Um, um, police departments are funded by the number of, or, you know, part of the formula is the number of arrests that can be, that can be made. And so, um, people of color who are living in cities, uh, tend to be arrested at a much higher rate, spend much more time in prison, um, have much fewer resources, um, um, you know, to right. for bail, et cetera, et cetera. Okay well, um, let I mean, me that goes on forever.
0: All right, thank you very much for your call. Would people of color, minorities, I don't even know how to ask the question, but when we talked about uh, special groups, uh, is there any kind of program or anything to work with uh, people of color minorities more so than than others?
1: This report didn't focus on that specific factor, we only focused on the mental health and, and okay. drug and alcohol factors, so it, it doesn't really appear here uh, in, in any greater sense. I, I personally have seen some of those statistics. Uh, I think he's right. It is the subject of a completely different right, show. Right, I agree. Uh, we really focused on uh, the needs of individuals, regardless of you know ethnic background uh, and whether uh, mental health and substance abuse issues were um, barriers to their success. Uh, mm-hmm. So ours is very global from that perspective.
0: We have than two minutes here, and there are so many other things we can cover. By the way, uh, is there a way for anyone listening today to access the report online that if they would like to read it?
1: Absolutely. They can go to the CCAP website, which is www.pacounties.org, and under the Program and Services tab. Uh, access criminal justice, and I believe there's actually still a link on the the main page of the website uh, where you could see the report.
0: We'll put a link on our website, WITF.org. You know, what you're describing, I don't know if it goes far as saying revolutionary, but it definitely would be, can come under the heading of reform. It would take cooperation from several different entities, the judicial system, law enforcement, mental health and substance abuse. Uh, in the minute or so we have left, how do you get everyone to work together?
1: I think that there are some counties that have very successfully found a way to work together. Those are the ones that have started to employ the tactics that we've talked about here. Uh, not everything is going to work in every county, and sometimes the, the personalities and just what's unique about the county have to be taken into account. But Ed and Berks County are probably uh, they're one of the best examples of how that collaboration really does get results.
2: Mm. I think what's important is, is that counties are engaging in the creation of forensic coalitions involving all kinds of stakeholders. Each county has an entity called the Criminal Justice Advisory Board or CJAB as we call it and we are this is how we are engaging everybody. I can honestly say that this is the first time in my career of 30 some years that we have whether it's the courts, the uh, law enforcement, everybody is talking about the same issue and willing to do something. Well, a lot of good information here, and as I said,
0: we'll put an, a link to the report on our website, WITF.org. Uh, Deputy Director of CCAP, uh, Brenda Carol penyuk and Ed Mahalik, who is Administrator of Brooks County's Office of Mental Health and Developmental Disabilities. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you.
2: Thank you. We're going to talk about storytelling on tomorrow's Smart Talk. Smart-